Welcome to Ed Council Insights. This is our podcast to provide insights into new legal developments in the Missouri education community. If you are a Missouri school leader, school board member, or any public educational decision maker in Missouri, well, you're in the right place. Today, we're going to be talking about current COVID-related questions. With the start of school on our doorstep, everyone is sorting through their final back-to-school plans and trying to make decisions regarding a number of COVID-related issues. Schools have a lot of questions regarding a variety of topics that uh, are COVID-related. So today, Emily Omahundro and I are going to thought we would talk through some of the questions that we are getting and provide some thoughts about how to approach some of these issues. I know we are fielding a lot of questions about things like masking, what's required, what's not, what uh, legal issues or legal risk, I should say, are presented by the decision to mask or not mask, Um, COVID-related liability protection, um, which ties to that issue of legal risk, things like whether or not the CDC order uh, regarding public transportation applies to school buses and whether or not we need to be following that as an order uh, as opposed to guidance from the CDC. Um, And lots of questions about COVID-related leave for employees and how to effectuate a good plan for for that leave. Um, And districts are even asking questions about uh, HB 271 as it relates to public health orders and what that may mean for the decision-making process for districts. So just lots of different questions surrounding uh, COVID-related issues as we start the school year. So with that preamble, I thought uh, I would ask Emily Omahundra, my partner, to weigh in on a number of these issues. And welcome to the podcast, Emily. Thank you. All right. Um, We've got a lot to talk about, and we're getting lots of questions. I know you are uh, getting tons of questions about COVID-related issues. Um, just to start out, what what are the areas that you're hearing the most from clients about? I think that we're hearing the most about, um, you know, the transportation and masking and COVID-related leave. Those are really the two the two things that we're getting the most questions about in the last few days anyway. Um, and, and so I think, you know, a lot of clients would like to know, you know, what's everybody else doing or what's the general consensus about this? Um, and how do I educate my stakeholders about, you know, what our plans are? Well, let's, let's talk about uh, breaking that down a little bit. You mentioned at the outset masking. What kinds of questions are people asking about masking and where are they in the thought process? So uh, I think, you know, most districts, obviously people were wrestling with this last year as well. And so there's, you know, there are, I think that there are some, you know, well-developed processes in most districts um, to figure out whether masks will be required, whether they'll be optional or strongly recommended, or whether there won't be any comments about masking at all in a reopening plan. Um, So I think the conversation now is generally more surrounding two things. First, what kind of liability might we face if we don't require masks, universal masking? And then um, secondly, for school districts who are maybe not as inclined to require masks, the question has come up relatively frequently about 
what the situation is with this CDC order regarding public transportation and requiring people on public transportation to wear masks and how does that apply to schools? So those two things really have come up more often than not. Okay. Oh, and starting with the issue of potential liability and risk, uh, if they don't require masking, what are your thoughts there? Well, I think that, you know, we can talk a little bit about Senate Bill 51 um, and the language of that. Which but is I think the that, COVID liability immunity uh, statute, right? Right. Yes. And so, um, but I think that the first thing that's important to say is that, you know, we can look at the language of this statute and try to interpret it, but the, and, and its applica applicability to schools and CDC recommendations, um, but the thing to remember is that we don't have a history of case law about what, you know, what, how this would play out in terms of potential lawsuits filed against employers, businesses, schools um, to really reflect on. So right now we can look at the language of the statute um, and, and the language of the statute really um, provides immunity from liability for an individual contracting COVID on district property or at district activities. And there are some exceptions to that immunity. So exceptions um, mean that a district would not be necessarily successful in using this COVID liability protection statute if a school district engages in recklessness or willful misconduct. Well, the question that we have is, you know, what does recklessness or willful misconduct mean when it comes to the school setting and something like a decision to require masks or to forgo those? And so, you know, CDC guidance and recommendations are not specifically mentioned in Senate Bill 51. Um, and the definition of recklessness could potentially encompass not following CDC guidance. Um, recklessness under the statute itself is um, a conscious voluntary act in reckless disregard of a legal duty and the consequences to another party. So like that sounds like a lot of statutory legal jargon, jargon which is exactly what we would expect. Um, but that is the definition in the statute. And then when we talk about willful misconduct, the statute also defines that, which is an act or omission that is taken intentionally to achieve a wrongful purpose or in disregard of a known or obvious risk that's so great as to make it highly probable that harm will outweigh the benefit. So I think that in looking at that, you know, we can look at those definitions and say, okay, we've got this liability protection statute, but it doesn't apply to us if we have this rec recklessness or willful misconduct. Is it willful misconduct or recklessness if we don't follow the CDC guidance? And we know the CDC guidance right now is that regardless of vaccination status, staff and students should be masked in school settings. So indoors. And so, you know, we take a look at that. And the answer to that is, you know, we can anticipate that if someone were to file a lawsuit against a school district after they have contracted COVID, whether that's an employee or a student um, or a visitor, that uh, they would make the argument, certainly, that a failure to comply with CDC guidance could be considered reckless or willful misconduct. Um, how successful that would be is kind of harkens back to my initial comments, which is 
you know, we can't really know that because we don't have any precedent or case law that would really give us, give us that ability to, to try to glean that. Um, I do think that, uh, one thing that would be more compelling argument for a plaintiff would be if a district, um, didn't comply with a local order regarding masking. So if you have a local order that requires masking, um, in your municipality or county, then I think that would be more problematic um, than simply looking at CDC guidelines and recommendations because the guidelines and recommendations are just that. They're not orders. Um, so I think that, you know, if we were defying a local health order or ordinance, that would be more problematic for from a liability perspective and certainly from being able to use that liability protection statute as a defense. You know, Emily, as you were talking through the liability statute and the immunity, uh, one of the things that it triggered in my mind is that we've had a number of questions about signage and the statutory uh, provision that calls for the posting of signs in school buildings. Um, what are your thoughts there? Sure. So the um, statute actually references this, the kind of signage and the actual language in it. So it, the statute says that essentially if we post this particular sign, um, it's providing written notice that, um, you know, this written notice needs to be in a clearly visible place. And it basically tells an individual who is coming into the environment that they are assuming the risk by coming in that environment. So that signage uh, has I mean, it's a little alarming, but it says warning under Missouri law, any individual entering the premises or engaging the services of the business waives all civil liability against the individual or entity for damages based on inherent risks associated with exposure, potential exposure to COVID, except for recklessness and willful misconduct. So the sign, I think, I mean, certainly helps. I don't think there's any, there's any harm to putting this sign up. Um, but I still, you know, the exception regarding recklessness or willful misconduct is posted on the sign. So, you know, we still, we still have, you know, a potential issue, um, depending on whatever the practices are of the district, uh, regarding whether an argument could be made that a district engaged in recklessness or willful misconduct. You know, with regard to that, and uh, you mentioned something earlier, the CDC transportation order or the CDC order regarding public transportation, how does that fit into all of this? So that is really one of the most frequent things I feel like I've been on the phone about for the last few days. And the in in February of this year, the CDC created an order. So that's different than guidance or recommendations. They created an order um, requiring those individuals who are on public transportation to wear masks. And of course, anybody who has flown in an airplane in the last, you know, year knows that that's the deal in an airport and on an airplane. But um, the CDC order also applies to public transportation that would be considered a school bus or school transportation. So, um, you know, that is the fact that there's an order in place 
see is markedly different than kind of how we've been chugging along during this pandemic where the CDC issues guidance or recommendations or our local health department makes guidance or recommendations. So the order itself um, is a federal order and it is binding on school districts and related to school district transportation. So everyone on school transportation is required by the order to mask up. And um, you know, the question that we've gotten from a number of districts is, well, you know, what if that's something that my community won't support or that we we can't do? And so I think that from that perspective, you know, we've certainly got the concern that we have this statutory language that we just discussed. Um, you know, this COVID liability protection does not extend in the event that there's recklessness or willful misconduct. And I think one of the difficult arguments could certainly be that, you know, willful misconduct could be something like failing to comply with a CDC order. So, you know, that's one of the things that we think about. We also think about, um, you know, the immunity protections that school districts were afforded by law prior to this um, new statute. And those immunities do not apply in the event that a ministerial duty is breached. So a ministerial duty, when we usually talk about those things, we would tell uh, school leaders, hey, if you have a policy that says that, you know, car riders need to be walked, you know, all the way to the car before being released from school and we don't do that, then that could be considered a breach of a ministerial duty because we have a policy that says we're going to do something and then we don't do it. Um, but that that same logic can be extend, extended to failing to comply with things like laws or a CDC order. So in the event that, you know, we have a district who doesn't comply with the CDC order and someone wants to file a lawsuit after contracting COVID, I think we could certainly expect that plaintiff to make the argument that failing to comply with the order is willful misconduct and also the breach of a ministerial duty. And we could potentially, on, depending on the judge, see some of those immunities uh, fall by the wayside. The uh, I think that's probably the biggest risk, but is there an additional risk that we might lose some federal funding if we don't do that and somehow that comes to light? Yes. So, you know, I think that possibility is is more remote, uh, but the, the CDC order lists a number of different, um, you know, different federal agencies that are in charge of enforcing the order. And so it's certainly possible that there could be some federal funding or federal grant funding that we would not be um, eligible for in the event that a district was found to not have been in compliance. Um, and, and I think that from, from my perspective, I feel like, you know, we know how politically polarizing this entire pandemic has been. And while I understand and hear our school leaders say, you know, my community is really not going to support masking on, you know, school transportation. The flip side of that is it only takes one individual who is unhappy if the district isn't doing 
all of the COVID layering protocols that they think should be done. And if that person understands and knows that masking is required on school transportation, you know, they could figure out who to make a complaint to about that. And, you know, we never know who that could be. Um, and we never know how seriously the feds may take that. Um, and, and I think that, you know, that's, that's certainly a real possibility that, that there could be, you know, federal fines or, um, you know, the withholding of some federal dollars if that happens. Perfect. That's a, a lot of great information for everybody about that CDC order regarding public transportation. What I want to do now, Emily, is you know take a hard pivot into a separate issue that's COVID-related, and that is COVID-related leave for employees. Um, we seem to be getting a lot of questions about how um, you know this is going to be handled by districts, and a lot of questions about how other districts. <laughs> are handling it. Frankly, I seem to be fielding a lot of those questions where people are asking, well, what's everybody else doing here? Mm -hmm. um, what's your take on that? Is it, What are most people doing with respect to COVID-related leave? So, um, you know, most districts that, that we've talked to in the last month or so are contemplating or have already put into effect um, for the coming school year or semester, some type of COVID-related leave. And um, what that looks like varies across districts, but generally what we're seeing is that districts are providing, you know, up to 10 days of COVID-related leave that is separate and apart from other leave that's provided to employees by the district, but that extra 10 days um, for individuals who test positive for COVID. And that is regardless of an employee's vaccination status. So, um, you know, employees are able to take that leave if they test positive and provide documentation to that effect. Um, some districts are also providing leave for individuals who are experiencing COVID symptoms and seeking a diagnosis. There are other districts who are providing COVID-related leave, in addition to those two categories I just mentioned, are also providing COVID-related leave for individuals who are required to quarantine after being identified as a close contact of someone who is a positive case. Um, some districts are tailoring that quarantine type leave a little more narrowly um, in the sense that the, the district will provide that leave if the exposure that requires quarantine occurred in the school setting. So, you know, if you were exposed to COVID outside of the school setting, then that's something that you would have to use your own personal or sick or vacation leave for. Um, but if you're identified as having been a close contact because of or related to school, then um, then the district provides that leave. So we're seeing kind of the gamut there. Um, we're really not seeing leave associated with, um, you know, that's broader, like what was under the family's first coronavirus response act. So we're really not seeing leave for things like school closures, daycare closures, um, needing to take care of someone who uh, tested positive or had to quarantine. We're not, we're not really seeing districts do this. It's really more related to the individual employee themselves. And most districts are providing that leave in, in a more, much more limited way than what we saw under the FFCRA. 
So Emily, you've given us a kind of a range of different options that districts are looking at. Um, any quick thoughts about pros and cons of those various options? Sure. So uh, first, I would say just as a side note that because this is the creation of a new type of leave, this is really something that your board needs to decide on, and, and it would be best to have a resolution to that effect um, so that the, the type of leave availability and, and the applicability is clear. Um, and then leave the procedural details to the administration in order to make sure that that, you know, the leave processing works correctly. But the idea of limiting COVID leave to uh, those who test positive for cases for COVID um, is going to really limit the total amount of leave that we would be required to provide to any given employee. So we know from probably looking at some numbers from last year that a lot of COVID leave was taken up because people needed to quarantine for close contact. Um, and, and so this school year, uh, because of the availability of the vaccine, uh, vaccinated individuals do not have to quarantine after a close contact unless they're experiencing symptoms. So if we are looking at, you know, limiting leave, then if we're only providing it for positive cases, um, the hope would be that the higher our vaccination status, then the lower the need for leave for positive cases, and also that lowers the need for leave of any sort for individuals who have close contact with someone who tests positive because, um, as I said, only unvaccinated individuals would need to quarantine for close contact. So um, that that's a byproduct of only creating COVID COVID related leave for positive cases. Um, that you know it might make individuals who are not vaccinated think, wait a minute, if I have to take my own leave, if I have to quarantine for close contact, then maybe I would be better off to get vaccinated and not have to quarantine for close contact. So that's, you know, that's kind of one of the thoughts. Um, the flip side of that, of course, is, you know, when we talk about uh, staff satisfaction and, you know, trying to keep morale up, it, depending on your community and the vaccination percentage in your community, there may be a number of staff members or stakeholders that don't agree with, with not providing leave in the event that someone has a close contact. So, um, you know, you really just have to know your community and, and your staff to try to figure out what's going to work best for you. It seems like, though, um, if you, you know, depending on where you draw that line, there is a real need for clarity uh, and or else it becomes this line drawing problem over and over again because it starts to tangle uh, like so many things that are COVID related. You know, you have these layers to the onion that, you know, you peel back one and you end up with 20 more. How do you suggest that school districts go about adopting COVID related leave along the lines of what you were just talking about? So because COVID related leave is not something that's listed regularly in school district policies or regulations, it's, it's essentially the creation of a whole new category of leave, right? So that's something that the board really needs to uh, adopt. And we don't 
necessarily think that it needs to be in a policy. Um, the hope would certainly be that maybe we won't have to have COVID related leave year in and year out, but um, that, you know, so the, the thing that seems to make the most sense would be for the board to adopt a resolution that outlines what kind of COVID leave is going to be made available to employees and then to leave the procedural aspects of um, processing the COVID leave requests and needs to administration and having the board adopt that. A, a benefit to that as well is that um, you know, some districts have a lengthy policy review and approval process, whereas uh, a resolution could be amended or rescinded if no longer necessary, or we could make the resolution for the first semester and then revisit it second semester um, as the needs arise. Good. Anything else you think that uh, people are really keying in on with respect to COVID-related leave or, or potential legal issues there? You know, we just, we have had a number of questions also about, well, if we do this COVID leave thing and, um, you know, we, how do we know if people are vaccinated or not vaccinated, um, our staff members, and can we even ask them that? And, and yeah, I mean, employers, districts can certainly ask employees if they are vaccinated. Um, it's up to the employee whether they choose to share that information with us. So, um, you know, if, if we are in the process of contact tracing, we identify a teacher who's a close contact of a positive case and we go to the teacher and say, hey, you've been identified as a close contact. Um, you're going to need, you know, if you've been vaccinated, you can return to school. If you have not been vaccinated, you need to quarantine for the recommended period of time. And, um, you know, if, if the teacher wants to share his or her vaccination status and proof of vaccination, that is up to them. And if they choose not to do that, then the district can certainly operate as if they are not vaccinated and require them to go ahead and quarantine. You know, one last area I want to go into with you today, uh, Emily, relates to HB 271, which is uh, recently enacted legislation that relates to public health orders. And I, I think many of our uh, superintendents and, and board members out there are probably familiar with the fact that municipalities are kind of struggling with this as they enter public health orders. Um, that uh, there's a sunset, you know, they need to revisit it every 30 days and some requirement that it hit the governing body uh, of the political subdivision. And the question of whether or not that is applicable to public school districts and um, seen arguments both ways, uh, you know, but uh, what are your thoughts on that part? So you and I talked about this a lot, a lot yesterday. Um, I think that in looking at the language of the statute, um, I think it certainly could be applicable to uh, public school districts um, because the, the language of the statute is not entirely clear, but it talks about um, an order being um, something that's issued by a political subdivision and then it lists different kinds of political subdivisions like health officers, local public health agencies, but it doesn't limit that definition to just health authorities or agencies. So we know that school districts are political subdivisions. And so I think that we could certainly expect that someone could interpret um, 271 to include public school districts. 
and extrapolate from there about any orders that are issued by boards of education. So we're talking about public health orders like that would restrict access to the property or uh, limit access in some way, right? Exactly. So arguably that might be, might be masking. It might be some other things as well. Right. So, you know, when I read that initially, I did not, when I read 271 initially, I did not immediately think of masking, but what I did immediately think about is um, restricting, for instance, the number of people who can attend events like a basketball game, um, you know, or, or something like that. Um, because the way the language reads is, you know, it talks about an order um, that directly or indirectly closes, partially closes or places restrictions on the opening of or access to schools. And so um, then you and I talked a little bit about masking. And I think that someone could try to make the argument that, well, you know, if we if we are requiring masks for individuals, and if you won't wear a mask, we're not going to let you in. Is that restricting access? Um, and you know, I don't think we really know the answer to that. And the statutory language doesn't help us figure that out. But what we do know from the statutory language is that it contemplates the um, revisiting of any sort of order um, every 30 days by the governing body. So if we're going to be placing some sort of restrictions um, via something that looks like a public health order, um, then we need to be taking that up on a regular basis. And I think that while we don't know whether or not that specifically applies to masking and we can't say definitively whether this applies to schools, it seems like a relatively easy procedural step for boards who gather once a month anyway to uh, take the step to simply reissue or reaffirm um, any sort of order that would restrict access so that we can, don't have to give somebody the argument that we're not doing something that's procedurally required. Right. And so, you know, I guess that helps us avoid the argument that it's a invalid or that uh, we somehow have a procedural misstep in what we've done as a, as a board and opening ourselves up to public criticism because of that. That seems to me a part of the risk, right? Yes. Not just purely the, yeah. Well, a lot of great information, Emily. I appreciate your time today and uh, walking through some of these COVID-related questions that are currently on the plate of our school leaders and school boards. Um, and just thank you for the time and the insights. Oh, it was my pleasure. And we thank you, the listeners, for taking the time today to listen to Ed Council Insights. We hope you'll follow and share our Ed Council podcast on social media and subscribe to hear upcoming episodes on current legal topics and issues related to school law. You can also follow us on Twitter, Facebook, or LinkedIn, or you can just check us out on our website. Just Google Ed Council, that's E-D-C-O-U-N-S-E-L, all one word, and you'll find us there. Glad we could be together, and thanks for listening to this edition of Ed Council Insights.